So we are in the book of First Corinthians. So if you want to turn there, First Corinthians chapter one, um, you can turn there. Uh, as Joe said, listen, it's a pretty simple scenario. It's an incredibly worldly community, right? Everything that needed to go from Italy to Greece went through Corinth. Everything, every person, all of the goods and all of the services, they went through this little piece of land. Right to get from one end to the other in the trade route. And so Corinth was a hub. It was the hub of everything. Everything good and everything bad that the world had to offer went right through Corinth. Every religion, every belief, right? It was an incredibly rich, incredibly transient community. And into it, Paul went and preached the gospel. And so a generational, a generational mindset of not believing in the one true God gets introduced to the true God. And now all of a sudden in this community, they have a church. And guess what they're finding? They're finding it's really hard. It's really hard. Even though that you're saved, it's really hard to put into practice the things of God's word when you're brand new to this. Anybody relate? Right? It's a hard thing to do. And then when you stick us in a church together, Right? Throw a bunch of people around us with a bunch of expectations. It's even harder. Anybody relate? Right? It's a complicated process. And so Paul writes a letter to this group of people, right? Encouraging and instructing them in how to do this right. And not once does Paul get angry with these people. Not once does Paul condemn these people. He will condemn a decision they make. Right? Because it's against God's word, but in his response to these people in their struggles is always nothing more than to talk to his brothers and sisters and to beseech these people, to come alongside these people. I want to remind you as we do this together, whether we're doing it in Benel, whether we're doing it in Deland, whether we're doing it with you online or here in Ormond, we are family. The Bible says that we are the family of God. Somebody say amen. Right? That means we are brothers and sisters. I don't know about your family, but mine's a tad dysfunctional, right? My guess is when you bring dysfunctional people together in the room of believers, call it a church, you're bound to have some dysfunction. Can I get an amen? Right? We need to learn how to approach people within the body of Christ. The first thing that Paul says to these people, because starting in chapter 1, verse 10, the niceties are over. Nine verses. Thank you, God. Love these people. They're amazing. Verse 10 of chapter 1, all the way to chapter 16, verse 9, Paul now will begin his instruction. But the first thing he says to them is, I beseech you, brothers and sisters. And the word beseech is the Greek word parakaleo. It means to come alongside. It's the word used to describe the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the one that's going to come alongside of you. Paul does not jump down their throat, doesn't point his finger. The first thing he does is he approaches them as fellow journeyers in this process. He walks beside them. Listen, you're going to encounter lots of people in Benel, in the land, online, in Ormond. You're going to encounter lots of believers that are going to struggle to put into practice their faith. They're going to make some really dumb choices. Listen, you're going to have a choice, family, how we approach each other. We can approach each other with condemnation and finger pointing. Or we can appoint each other with the kind of grace that the family of God should give to each other. Can somebody say amen? So the first thing that Paul does is he addresses them that. But the first thing he addresses isn't sexual immorality, which he'll address, right? It isn't about 
marriage, which he'll address. It isn't about money, which he'll address. It isn't about doctrinal issues like the resurrection or the Lord's Supper, which he will address. It isn't even about our Christian freedoms and the choices we make, which he will spend several chapters addressing. The very first thing he addresses, and because of its priority, it tells you its importance. The very first thing he addresses is there should be no divisions among you as a church. You should be unified. And so we're going to talk about that today. I'm going to ask you to stand and Benel to land online here. We're going to read these seven verses together. I'm only going to ask two questions of this verse today or these verses today because I love you and I don't want you to be here forever. All right. So here's what Paul says. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you. Let's say that together. Benel, Delay, and Dorman, let's say it together. No divisions among you. He goes on to say this, and that you be perfectly united in mind and in thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household, they ratted you out. They informed me that there are quarrels among you, right? What I mean is, here's what you're saying. I'm going to follow Paul. He's my guy. I'm going to follow Apollos. I'm going to follow Cephas. And still another says, I'm going to follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? He says, I'm thankful that I didn't baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you can say that you were baptized into my name. Yes, I also baptized, he says, the household of Stephanus. And beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, Paul says, but to preach the gospel. Not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You can be seated. Unity. Being united. Right? Paul says this is the first issue, and he is going to talk about unity for the next three chapters. All the way into chapter 4, Paul is going to be discussing this issue. And my question is, first and foremost, why? Why is this first? Why is this the priority, right? The key verse is, he says, I don't want there to be any divisions among you. That Greek word means to tear, to rip, to split, right? It's used to describe the veil between the holy of holies and the holy place that was ripped or torn in two. He says, I don't want there to be splits in the church. How many of you in Benel, the land online here in Norman, how many of you have ever been a part of a church split? Let me see you. Okay. Yeah. Most of those people attend on Saturday night anyway. So, you know, Right. Church splits are terrible. How many of you are aware of a church split? Right? Tons of churches are started because people get mad about something. Right? They get about mad about something and they decide to leave. And let's be clear, most churches don't split over doctrine. They don't split over doctrine. They split over dumb stuff. Right? And they get together and they start a new church. That's why there's over 360,000 Different kinds of churches in the United States of America. Do you think there's unity among the believers in Jesus in the United States of America? No. No. We can't work together. We can't get along because we don't understand the concept. So let's ask these two questions this morning of this text. Why? Why be unified? Right? And two, how do we do it? 
right? Paul says there shouldn't be any divisions among you. And he gives the answer why there shouldn't be in one verse. Verse 13, he says this, is Christ divided? Church, is Jesus divided? No, there's your answer. Let's move on, right? Jesus isn't divided, right? And we are the body of Christ, are we not, church? Right? And if Christ isn't divided, should the body be divided? No. And yet, we are. We're often divided, right? The multi-site model is an interesting model. One church in many locations. So how do people in Benel and people in Deland and people online and people in Ormond act unified? Right? Because we know that Jesus isn't divided. We know that none of these preachers, Paul or Apollos or Peter, were crucified and able to save anybody else, right? Not possible in that process. So we know why we shouldn't be divided because Jesus isn't divided and we are the body of Christ. But there's more than that. Listen to John 17. Jesus has prayed for you one time. If you're a believer who's accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior across all of our campuses living here, you say amen. Right? Here's what he says. He prayed for you. In the first three verses of John 17, this is what he prayed to God. Jesus said this, look toward heaven and prayed. Here's what he prayed. Father, the time's come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted your son authority over all people that he might give eternal life. That Jesus might give eternal life to all those, God, you've given me. Listen to this. This is eternal life, Jesus says, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, say this with me, all campuses, whom you have sent. Key phrase, right? Eternal life is knowing the one true God, knowing Jesus, and knowing that God sent him. Fast forward to verse 20. Now Jesus prays for us. My prayer isn't for them alone. I pray also for those who are going to believe in me through the message. That's us. What's he pray for? Listen, I could give Jesus a laundry list of things I'd like him to pray for. He answered one of those prayers last night when he let the Packers get beat. Woo woo, right? That was a very, very good night, right? But of all the things that Jesus could have prayed for us, he picked one. He picked just one. I pray that they may be one. He said, I want them to be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. He says, may they also be in us so that the world, listen to this. This is why unity matters. So that the world may believe that you, say it with me, church, you have sent me. Wasn't that what Jesus said? Jesus said, God, this is eternal life. That they know you and that they know me, the one that you have sent. How are they ever going to know Jesus for eternal life if they don't know you sent him? And guess what, church? Unity isn't just logical because Jesus isn't divided. It's necessary for our message. Did it ever strike you? Ever strike you why it's hard for people to believe in Jesus? You ever get frustrated with that? Doesn't it make sense that Jesus would be an easy thing for people to believe in? Yes or no? Yeah. And yet our world... Our nation has nothing but vitriol toward him. Part of the reason is because they don't even believe that God sent him. They don't believe it. And you want to know why they don't? Because the church isn't one. It's not one. Listen, the credibility of our message, the credibility of people 
who love Jesus in Benel, the land online here, the credibility of our message about Jesus from the body of Christ is built upon there be no divisions among you and that we be what? One. Because without it, the world isn't going to believe God that you sent me. Does that sound familiar, church? People don't believe that Jesus was sent by God. And a lot of the responsibility for that falls upon a church that can't can't even agree on silly things like whether we should sit in chairs or pews, right? Whether a communion table should be in the front, the back, or not in the church at all. Whether there should be a certain kind of music or not. Whether there should be a certain preacher up there or not. We split over every stupid thing that human beings could split over. And at the core, we have ruined the credibility of a message. And why does that matter to you? Because you've got sons and daughters that are going to stand before Jesus one day and answer for their eternity. And what if they don't believe that God sent Jesus? What if the church makes a difference? You see, Paul's not talking to the worldwide church here. He's talking to a local church, Corinth Church. He's talking to Tomoka Christian Church. And here's why it matters to me. Because my, my grandson that I introduced you, to, you introduced you to earlier, he goes to church here. He doesn't know Jesus. I want him to grow up knowing Jesus. I want him to know that God sent his son for eternal life. Which means I want this church to be unified at all costs. I want this church to be one. You've got children, grandchildren, friends that need Jesus. Somebody say amen. Right? Don't you get tired? Don't you get tired of hearing of the church always wanting to split over stupid things? Anybody get tired of the fighting in churches? Do you know how many people won't go to church today because of that? Oh, I'm not going to church. All those people do is fight. Right? Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3. He says this about, he says this, or excuse me, Luke 11, 17. Luke 11, 17. Jesus said this. He said he knew their thoughts. Any kingdom that divides against itself will be what? It's going to be ruined. And he said in a house... That's divided. A family, right? A home that's divided against itself will what? It's going to fall. Does unity matter? Yes or no, church? Yes, it does. It matters. Right? It 100% matters. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 20. He says this. And as it is, there are many parts. We've got them scattered in Benel. We've got them scattered in Deland. We've got them online. We've got them here. Joe's in Thailand. we got them everywhere. Right? we got... Many parts, but what? One body. One. Right? He goes on in verse 25 and he says this. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, guess what? We all should suffer. If one part is honored, right? Every part is going to rejoice with it. You and I are the body of Christ. Is Christ divided church? No. He's not. We are the body of Christ and each one of us is a part of it. Should we be divided? No. No. Now let me ask you. That's a, that's the standard. That's the standard. Anybody think that's going to be hard to do when you gather three, four thousand people together? Anybody think it's going to be hard? Anybody think it's going to be hard when you add churches in Benel and Deland? Yeah, it's going to be tough. Right? So the question is, how do we do it? Right? How do we do it? Just so you know, if you're tracking with me, I've only got two points and I'm already on my second point. We're doing good, right? Right? How, how do we do this? We know it's important. Listen, the entire credibility of our message depends on our ability to be united. 
I can't stress that enough, right? But how do we do it? There's two ways. There's an external way and there's an internal way. Let's talk about the external way. Here's what Paul says. Paul says in verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus. Listen to this. He says that all of you agree, right, with one another. In the Greek, that phrase is that all of you agree on what you say. Can you imagine all of us agreeing on what we say? How many of you like Starbucks and think it's the best place for coffee? I am so amazed. Nobody in this church likes Starbucks. It's crazy. How many of you are Dunkin' people? Yeah. And how many of you are like me believe that McDonald's is the only way to go? Right? And then how many of you are bougie? Right? How many of you are bougie and go to places like Beautiful Feet? Okay, the bougie people are Saturday night. I got it, right? Uh, but listen, we can't agree. I like Diet Coke. You like Diet Pepsi. Right? I go to a restaurant. I like a Diet Coke. Is Diet Pepsi okay? No, it's not. Ever. Right? Right? We don't agree about a lot of things. How many of you hate this cold weather? And how many of you love it? Right? There you go. Paul says this. Don't let there be divisions among you. Agree on what you say. Anybody think that's going to be hard? Yeah, it's going to be really hard. Listen to what scripture says about our tongues, right? Scripture says this in James chapter 3 about our mouths, right? The tongue, it's small as a part of the body, but it makes great boast, right? Consider what great forest can be set on fire just by a small spark. He says, the tongue is a fire. It is a world of evil among the parts of the body, right? Your tongue can corrupt, listen to this, your tongue can corrupt the whole person and set the whole course of that person's life on fire. You ever met a person whose life's been destroyed by their tongue? Yeah. Some of you were dumb enough to marry those people, right? Right? Your whole life can be destroyed by your tongue and your tongue is itself set on fire by hell. Listen to what Proverbs says in verse 18. He says this, the tongue, say it with me church, has the power of, that's a lot of power, isn't it? And we grew up with this stupid saying, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I'm not sure there was anything we ever said as children growing up that was more wrong than that phrase. The tongue has the power of life and death. How about Proverbs chapter 12? It says this, reckless words. Many of you, Benal Deland in here online, have experienced this verse. Reckless words, they pierce like a sword. But the tongue of a wise person can bring healing. Anybody experience that? Right? Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, he writes it this way in the New Testament. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Here's what should come out of your mouth, church. Right? If you love Jesus, this is what you should say. Only what is helpful for building others up, not according to what you think they need, but actually according to their need, that it would benefit the person who hears. Amen. You think it's going to be hard for us to agree on what we say? Yeah. Because our tongue is a mess. 
Our tongue is a mess. It says all kinds of terrible things. And here's the way it works right within the church. Somebody says, can you believe that? Walking out of the church. Can you believe that? Can you believe that the preacher was dressed in a, in a t-shirt, right? And jeans to preach in. Can you believe that Pastor Cord preached for 40 minutes instead of 20 like Pastor Joe? Can you believe, can you believe that that church supports four pro-life missions? Like people don't have the right to choose, right? And they walk out and they tell somebody and then somebody says, you know why I agree with you. And the next thing you know, those two people tell two other people. And the next thing you know, one person's whisperings and one person's murmurings has turned into a group of 10 people or 12 people that all agree. And the next thing you know, they got a leader and you got yourself a split. Anybody ever hear of such a thing in the church? Yeah. It's the way it happens. You know what Paul says? The way to avoid having divisions among you is to keep your mouth in check. Right? The actual phrase in the Greek means this. To put something to bed. It was actually used to describe people who would take a nap. To lay down and rest. Right? It became a phrase that was used to people to say to put an argument to bed. To put it to rest. To end it. Listen. If you and I. Listen. Let's be clear church. Benel, Delane. Let's be clear. Should there be divisions in the church? Yes or no? Come on, say it. No. Why? Is Christ divided? No. We're the body of Christ. And Jesus said, I need him to be one so the world will believe that I came from you, God. Is unity important? Yes. Paul says it's so important, I'm addressing it first. And he says, here's the way to do it. Put these silly conversations to bed. Stop it. Stop it. Stop having those conversations that are divisive. Stop having those conversations that are going to bring other people into agreement with you over silly things in the church. Because all of those conversations, all of those, listen, there's plenty of things in the world for us to disagree about and argue about that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Amen? We can argue about all that stuff. Where's the best place to eat? What's the best car to drive? Right? We can argue about where the best place to get coffee is. We can argue about everything you want to argue about. But within the kingdom of God, there should be no divisions among you. And the bigger the church gets, the more important that becomes. And when that church gets big enough, they start planning campuses. It becomes even more important for us. We should be a church that's united because we understand. And this should be our prayer. Psalm 141 verse 3 says this. Set a guard over my my mouth, O Lord, and keep watch over the door of my lips. Anybody else want to make that their prayer for 2024? Right? More damage has been done within the body of Christ because of words. Because of words. Because of words. Paul says, if we'll just put this stuff to rest, if we'll just get rid of it, we can agree on a lot of things. Listen, we just went through the holidays. You know, the way to get along with your family when they all get together is everybody eats and nobody talks. <laughs> right? Because the minute you start talking, there's always a chance there's going to be an argument. Anybody? Yeah, it always happens. Right? Listen, there are things within the church we should not be doing. There are things the believers in the church who are the body of Christ should not be participating in. 
Why? Because there should be no divisions. Why? Because people need to know that Jesus is a gift from God. Somebody say amen. Amen. So what's more important? What we want or what the world needs? I hope you're with me and you believe that the world needs Jesus more than they need your opinion or mine. Somebody say amen, right? Here's the second way we do it. Well, actually, let's, let's do this real quick, right? I want, I want to talk about this because Paul says, right? He says in, in verse 10 that, or in verse 11, I hear that there are quarrels among you. This is what we're talking about, right? That Greek word means to be whispering, right? To be murmuring. Right? You ever been in a, in a, in a family conversation or in a meeting at work and somebody's talking and there are two people over there whispering? Annoying, right? You never know what's happening, right? Who knows what they're discussing over there, right? This is what happens in the church, right? Whispers and murmurs about all these things. Listen to what scripture says about that. Just real quick, right? Two verses, right? Titus 3, here's what Paul says about this. Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies, arguments and quarrels about the law. He says, because these kinds of things are unprofitable and useless. Somebody say amen to that, right? He says this, listen to this. Warn a divisive person once. Warn that person a second time. And after that, if they're still divisive. How does he describe divisive? They're whispers, they're murmurs, they're gossipers. He says, you have nothing to do with them. Why? Listen to this. You can be sure that that person is warped and sinful and self-condemned. Listen, should there be division in the church? No. Are there going to be people who want to divide the church? Yes. What should you do? Listen. If we're going to be unified, you're going to have to help. Delange, you're going to have to help. Benel, you're going to have to help. Online, you're going to have to help. The Bible says this, when a whisperer approaches you, a murmur, a grumbler, a quarrel, he says you warn them once, you warn them twice, and then you don't have anything to do with them. Why? Because unity matters above all. Why? Because the message demands it. There are people in Ormond right now that you love that don't know Jesus would never darken a church door. And the reason is because of the church's behavior. We need to change that. We need to change that. And Paul says, you church, we all have that responsibility. Listen, I've had to do that many times over my 30 years of ministry. I've had to do it many times in 14 years here, right? I've had to do it with staff people, right? That we eventually had to let go because of it. Right? You can't have that kind of divisiveness within the church. We literally, we, listen, we gathered together as a church community and we, we raised a million dollars for eight missions in Africa so we could reach the continent of Africa. Do you remember that church? I literally heard our, heard a campus pastor of ours say to their campus, Africa does not need to be saved. Divisive. Divisive. We can't have that. Listen, Tomoka's not immune to it. None of us are immune to it, but we can all participate in it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 about these people that are divisive. He says, I can't address you as spiritual people, right? But simply worldly people. You're, you're a baby in Christ. He says, I gave you milk, not solid food for you're not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. Listen to why he knows this. He says, you're still acting like the world. How do I know that? Since there's jealousy and what? quarreling since the whispers and the murmurs are there right among you he says you're still acting like the world are you not acting like a man paul wraps it up in romans 16 and he says this 
I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause what? Divisions. Those are quarrelers, whisperers, murmurers. Watch out for them. And they work to put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Listen, let's stay there for just a second. Right? Listen to this. The things that people say are contrary to the teaching that we have learned. Listen, we're not going to agree about everything. Yes, church, we're just not. But are there basic teachings that we as a church should all agree on? Yes or no? Yeah. There's one Bible. Amen. Bible says of it, inspired by God, right? Inspired writers, inspired by God, infallible, inerrant. This is the word of God. Do we believe that church? Yes or no? We have to be in agreement about that. No divisions, right? How many, how many ways can you be saved? There's only one. His name is who? Can we all agree on that? Yes, we can never compromise that. Those who put their faith in Jesus should be baptized into Christ. Can we all agree on that? Everybody say yes. Listen, there are, there are non-negotiables with the church that we have to agree on. We cannot be split on. And never before in the history of the church have more preachers compromised truth in the walls of a church than they are right now. It's happening all over our nation. Right? We cannot do that. We cannot be divided over that stuff. That's why we support Pro-Life Weekend. Because we believe at its core this is a non-negotiable issue. Right? God is the creator of life. Can we agree on that church? Right? That's our stand. We can't negotiate that. Listen, if God created a baby and knit that baby together in the mother's womb and called Jeremiah before he was ever, ever born, God is the arbiter of life. Pro-choice weekend is only about one thing. Who's in charge? And listen, I didn't say this at the beginning. I need to say this here. As I told you, my daughter wrestled with this decision. Listen, there are many, many people within Ormond, DeLand, Benel, online that have had an abortion. Just like there are many people in Benel and DeLand and online in Ormond that have committed any number of sins. And God is gracious and able to forgive all of them through Jesus Christ our Lord. Somebody say amen. amen. Listen, you can take a stand about something without bringing condemnation on something. Jesus came into this world not to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Somebody say amen. Listen, do we take a stand for pro-life? You bet we do. Do we condemn people who have had made the choice to have an abortion? No, we do not. And if we can't do both of those things, then we're in dire trouble. So if you're here today, watching online today, Bedell or Deland today, and you're offended by the stance, I am sorry. But it is a stance we will not compromise on. Just like there are many things that we won't. And so when people come in the church and want to be divisive, we have to get rid of those people, right? He says this in verse 18 of those people of Romans 16. He says, for such people are not serving Jesus Christ. They're simply serving their own appetites. They're doing it through smooth talk and flattery, and they deceive the minds of naive people. Listen, we have to stop the divisiveness within the church. Because Christ is not divided. We do it by agreeing on what we say. Listen, there's plenty of things in scripture we're not going to agree about. Is Jesus going to come before the final seven year tribulation? Is he going to come in the middle of it? Is he going to come at the end of it? There isn't enough information in here for us all to have the same agreement. But do we all agree this? Jesus is coming. Yeah. 
There are lots of different things about scripture that are hard to know because there's enough, not enough evidence. But there are tons of them that we can. We cannot be divided over those things, church. And we cannot tolerate whispers, murmurs, quarrelers within the church. Why? Because Jesus is not divided. And the message requires us to say the same things. So put those things to bed. Real quickly, here's the second thing. We, we have to learn. We have to learn, right? To do it internally. Paul says this, right? He says in verse 10, right? I appealed to you in the name of Jesus to do what? Right? You agree? Put the argument or put to bed all of these, these whispers, right? And, and there's no division among you. And then he says this. I want you to be perfectly united in mind and thought. So I read this and I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous. Now, Paul doesn't want us to just talk alike. He wants us to think alike. Anybody else think that that's ridiculous? I, I mean, sometimes I read scripture and I just get so frustrated. Because it just doesn't make any sense to me. How would, why would Paul ask us to all think alike? Right? Well, when you really get to thinking about it, it's really not that complicated. Right? All, all over scripture, verses like this exist. Right? First Peter 3, eight, he says this. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Right? Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and be humble. Right. And in that verse, live in harmony with each other means to be like minded. Right. That phrase like minded is all over the New Testament. All I was amazed. I got to look in and I was amazed how many authors, right, how many writers thought it was possible for all of us to be like minded. And I thought, well, that's insane. How are three thousand, four thousand people in Benel, Deland, Orman online? How are we all going to think the same thing? And then God said, it's pretty simple, Cord. How many books are there? How many lords are there? How many faith? How many spirits? How many gods? So if there's only one book and one savior and one God and one spirit and one faith, guess how easy it is for all of us to be like-minded? It's not that complicated. Right? If there was only one football team to root for, which that's true, there's only one football team to root for, right? We wouldn't have any divisions among us, right? Listen, this is a picture of, a couple weeks ago I got to go to Green Bay. This is a picture of my daughter, and I, two weeks ago, and we got to go to uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin, right? My wonderful daughter, Kena. We took a trip to Green Bay, Wisconsin. I got to watch the Bears play the Packers, right? And we had a chance to knock them out of the playoffs. Yeah, thanks for caring, right? <laughs> this is the picture of the stadium before kickoff, right? Packed, packed. And we are behind all of these people, right? And we are... Lonely. Because within that wall, there were thousands and thousands of people that didn't have the same mind with me. And because they didn't have the same mind as me, we did not say the same words for three and a half hours. Right? Because you see, words kept us divided. But the words were a result of the way that we thought. We walked into the stadium thinking there was only one team to root for. And 60,000 other people decided there was another team to root for. And guess what? There were divisions among us. It's the same in the church. If we can't be united in thought, in mind and thought, meaning the things that we think and the decisions we make on it, we can't be united in word. And if we can't be united in that, listen, we cannot be united, period. There will be divisions among us. But when we build within the kingdom of God, these non-negotiables based upon God's word, we can easily be like-minded, 
right? We could easily, right, have the same thing. Listen to 2 Corinthians 13, 11. He says this, finally, brothers, goodbye. My favorite line that Paul writes in all of his letters, right? Just so abrupt, right? He just writes, goodbye. Boop, see ya, right? But then he keeps writing. Aim for perfection. Listen to my appeal. Say it with me, church. Be of over and over, this was an admonition, be of one mind. If there's one book and there's one faith and there's one Lord and there's one hope and there's one baptism and there's one God and Father over all, is it possible for us to be like-minded? Of course. Of course that is. Right? It's possible for us to be like-minded. If it's possible for us to be like-minded, it's possible for us to say the same things, which means it's possible. I know it seems impossible, but it's possible for 4,000 people in Benel, in the land, online, in Ormond to be unified. Somebody agree with me, right? It's possible, right? It's 100% possible, but only if we do this. Philippians 2 Paul says, here's the only way this can be done, right? In Philippians 2, Paul writes this. If you, listen, if you're in Benel, the land online in Norman, and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, let me hear you say amen. amen. He says, if there's any encouragement, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ then, and he says, if there is any comfort that you have gotten from his love, if there's been any fellowship that you've received because of God's Holy Spirit, if you've received any tenderness and any compassion, Paul says this, make my joy complete. How? By being what? Crazy. This is how Paul said you can make me happy. Be like-minded. Have the same love, being one in spirit and one in purpose. Right? Do nothing. Listen to us. Here's how we do this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or in vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. He says each of us should look not only to our own interests, but to the interest of others. And here's the thing. Our attitudes should be the same as that as Christ Jesus. Is it possible for us to be unified church? 100%. Is it possible for us to say the same thing, church? Yeah. Is it possible for us to think the same thing? Yeah. Scripture says be like-minded. And here's the answer. You're going to have to be like Jesus. And isn't that what we're supposed to be doing in the first place? All of us who know Jesus in Ormond right here. All of you wonderful people in Benal and Deland and online. The Bible says we are, be, we are to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And people who look like Jesus... We'll talk like Jesus. And people who talk like Jesus won't be divided. Because Christ is not divided. Paul says, let there be no divisions among you. Listen, because I'm preaching, we're not singing. So I get to wrap this thing up. Right? Listen, if you're in Benel, Deland, have questions about Jesus, about what to do to be saved... Campus pastors there, Pastor Kyle and Bunnell, Pastor Aaron and Deland. If you're online, there's a button that says, I've decided. I encourage you to press that button. It'll take you to a form that will get you to Pastor John. If you're here in Ormond, you've got questions. Or first of all, if you're a guest, we're so grateful that you're here. Right? If you've got questions, there's a room out in the hallway called Guidance Point. We've got people out there that would love to have those conversations with you. But here's how I want to ask you to wrap this thing up with me. And all of our campuses, I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're going to read these verses together as a church. Paul says, let there be no divisions among you. Amen, church. 
Here's what Paul writes. Let's read this together across all of our campuses. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.